THN is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Creators like longtime listener and friend of the show, Carl Smith, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter. Ha-cha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the zero at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 503 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. My name is Matt Baum. And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. On this week's post-post-post-landmark episode, Matt and I get deep into reviews of the David and Maria Latham. Lapham. Lapham. It automatically changes to Lapham. <clears throat> Autocorrect. Uh, it's their new joint, The Lodger. Well, I think it's just called Lodger, actually. It's called Lodger. And yet another new Sandman spinoff, The Return of Books of Magic. After that, we'll review eight more of this Wednesday's new comics during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll head on down to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll discuss our must-read picks for next Wednesday. And finally, it's time for another edition of Take a Look! It's in a book! Where we'll review how do you smoke weed. But before we get so high, this show devolves into fart jokes and giggles. We better talk about this week's Nerdos! Nerdos! Isn't it already? Full of fart jokes and... I mean, yeah, but like <laughs> I like so much so that nothing else happens. Gotcha, gotcha. Great news. Another new Batman prequel is you, coming soon. You mean because we demanded yeah, it. Yeah, we all demanded it. <laughs> uh, this was announced this summer, but it's just now getting going with casting. Actor Jack Bannon has been cast as young Alfred Pennyworth. Oh, thank God. In Epics, Epics's Batman prequel, Pennyworth. <laughs> Pennyworth is a 10-episode series that explores the life of young Alfred Pennyworth who goes to work for Thomas Wayne while fresh out of the SAS. Here's the series' official description. The 10-episode, one-hour drama series is based on DC characters created by Bob Kane with Bill Finger. It follows Bruce Wayne's legendary butler, Alfred Pennyworth, a former British SAS soldier in his 20s who forms a security company and goes to work with a young billionaire, Thomas Wayne, who's not yet Bruce's father, in 1960s London. And the official description of the character of Alfred... Quote, Alfred Pennyworth is a boyishly handsome, <laughs> cheerful, charming, clever young man from London. Jesus. Honest, open-faced, and witty. Like sexy Michael Caine. Yeah, I guess, that. yeah. You'd never take him for an SAS killer. Alfred doesn't know how to reconcile the kind-hearted boy he used to be with the cold, calculated killer he was forced to become. He's a man on the make who doesn't know what to make of himself yet. I don't care. Uh, yeah, this is <laughs> going to be uh, Gotham's Bruno Heller will be the showrunner. Uh, production is scheduled to begin. Oh, it started on October 10th. Yep. Uh, no release date has been announced. I hate Gotham. I don't care about Gotham. I don't Fart know noise. anybody that is still watching Gotham, so I don't know how it's still on TV. I got my mic all wet. And I, you know what? I take that back. I did talk to a couple of people that watch Gotham at work, and they're like, I don't like it. I <laughs> But like, I'm still watching it. Uh, Keith Binder will tell you that it's the greatest thing on television. That's because Keith's an idiot, and he <laughs> likes to do shit like that just to rile people up. I mean, okay. I'm not opposed to the idea of exploring Alfred's origins. Right. He's got this whole past in, uh, in British Secret Service. That's kind of cool. Do it for a couple episodes. But do it for whatever. Do, do it this shit in they Gotham. They will not be able to resist. No, you know. Tying that. it to Batman mythos. Oh, of course. Like, we're going to get like, here's the Scarecrow's grandfather. Totally. Yeah. And it's going <laughs> to be like, okay. oh my God, it's Egghead's mother's 
right. best friend. I don't you know, like, like oh, and that Jesus. I don't need that. I don't Tweedle need Dee it. And Tweedledum's grandparents played bridge with Alfred. Oh my god! <laughs> you know, like <laughs> stupid, stupid, stupid. We don't need it. Yeah, no thanks. Co- in other news, in happier news, perhaps, co-creator, writer, C.W. Cook, and co-creator, artist, Travis Heimel, have announced Lucha, that's L-U-C-H-A, it's got periods in there, a luchador detective comic with a monstrous twist. Lucha is the story of Agente, a luchador who detective who spends his life solving low-level crimes and murders, taking on any job that falls in his lap, he just so happens to get wrapped up in a murder campaign that involves vampires, whoa, wrestlers, whoa, and other notorious figures, whoa, before the rug gets pulled out from under him and the readers. The elevator pitches Lucha Underground meets The Truman Show. That's the part I don't quite get. Yeah, because like, <laughs> is it because like they're always filming his exploits? Yeah, I don't know. Is he being followed by cameras and shit? Maybe. I don't know. Lucha was born from a simple idea as part of the Kayfabe anthology, a wrestling comic anthology put together by comic creators and wrestling fans alike, with emphasis on, you guessed it, wrestling. This story about Agente took on a life of its own because of the incredible working chemistry Travis and CW had a yada yada yada. This sounds totally awesome. It sounds like it's going to be huge fun. Yeah. Uh, there's a Kickstarter campaign running uh, right now. It was fully funded in five days. Yeah. I have already backed it. Uh, there's a ton of, of like reward levels and stretch goals, though. Uh, you can get original art, commission sketches, variant covers. So we don't know where this is coming from yet. Is this is this with well, image? Well, I think or they're self-publishing. But they're I just going to self-publish? I guess I don't know. Oh, well, it looks really fun. And I love this stuff. And I love, I've always loved Mexican wrestling because it was always tied to the supernatural. That's just where they went with it. Like, you wore a mask because you were a supernatural weirdo. Yeah. Some of you were good guys. Some of you were vampires. Who knows, right? <laughs> but this looks kick-ass. We'll have notes to the Kickstarter if you guys want to throw money at it. And you should. Joe Patrick. Daredevil is back. That's right. The flagship series in Marvel's Netflix franchise is back. Daredevil Season 3 officially kicked off on Friday. Uh, October 19th was the date. Yeah. And we're here with our knee-jerk, spoiler-free reactions to the first few episodes. Matt's seen three. I've seen five because I watched two episodes at work. <laughs> <laughs> the series picks up following the events of The Defenders, though you don't really need to have watched that because there's a nice recap at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, Daredevil is presumed dead, but secretly he's being nursed back to health at a shelter under the care of Sister Maggie. I'm not going to spoil anything about Sister Maggie. Yeah, don't. Well, you may, I guess you just did. Didn't I didn't, you? though. Sister Maggie is a character you, from Daredevil. You let us know she has a secret. Not everybody knows She's that. got a secret. Come on. Look. <laughs> You're terrible at this. You also ruined some stuff yesterday on Twitter for people as well who were like, okay, I didn't even know this dude was going to be in the show. <laughs> they announced it. They announced it. That doesn't mean everybody knows. On the official, <laughs> in the trailer, they showed the character. <laughs> Just hey, saying. guess what? Bullseye is in Daredevil <laughs> season three. He's in the fucking trailer. Just saying. Uh, okay, so what did you think? I think they have made a really good move bringing it back down to Earth. Because the Defenders got way too ninja bullshit, yeah, way was, too fast. Something about dragons. I blocked out that show. Yeah, it just didn't work. And now that they put a bullet in Iron Fist's head, which was necessary. He got Iron Fisted. It did not work at all in this universe. And this very much feels like we have removed Daredevil from that shit and taken him back to the Frank Miller reborn Daredevil that you remember that was much more like, well, season one. I guess season two did get a little more mystic and shit like that. Well, yeah, it dealt with the hand. Yeah, it was still dialed back. This is very much Wilson Fisk is back. Bullseye is going to be here. 
Daredevil is coming back from a serious injury. And yeah. I mean, he's already blind. And so when he gets his head injured and he can't hear, he's effectively screwed. He's right. not Daredevil anymore. Yeah, right. Uh, he's in a super dark place. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really dark. Uh, it's kind of like uh, Matt Murdock is dead to me. Right. I'm, I'm only Daredevil now. Well, and he's realizing if, yeah. if I have friends and I'm Matt Murdock, those friends get killed. Yeah. And it's very, very Daredevil. I love that the fight scenes are still just as oh, brutal. Uh, so, and while watching it, I was saying to Casey, "Why couldn't we have fight scenes like this in Iron Fist?" You know, what I mean, like really, right. yeah. And I get it; Iron Fist is more karate, and it should be more ridiculous and wire work. But they didn't even do that, right? They, they ugh. so I watched uh, episode four last night, and episode four always seems to be where they have the notorious hallway fight. <laughs> uh, it happened in season one. Uh, I'm sure there was one in season two. This hallway fight took place in like four hallways. <laughs> it was so many hallways. It was so good. It was so good. In other uh, Marvel Netflix news, yeah, Luke Cage canceled. Yeah, Luke Cage got canceled one week after the cancellation of Iron Fist. But not canceled, from what we've read, not canceled because it was like poor viewership or people didn't like it. People loved Luke Cage season two. I loved Luke Cage season two. They said creative differences. Did they? I didn't actually read the name of the Between Netflix and the creators. Um, what does that mean? Since when does Netflix have any input onto the, I mean, they put it the out. content of the shows? They put it out, so you got to come to them and say, here's this show. Ultimately, they decide whether they want to do it or not. Weird. Yeah. Uh, so several people are looking to these two rapid-fire back-to-back cancellations as uh, a hint that they are going to secretly make a Heroes for Hire show. Yes, and I have another conspiracy theory. Netflix said, look, Iron Fist is not good. It's not performing well. We're done with it. And Marvel, I think, said, okay, look, we gave it a good shot. But, yeah, we're done with it. But, hey, what if we take Iron Fist and spin him into a Heroes for Hire show with Luke Cage? We develop it like that. And Netflix, in my mind, goes, well, Luke Cage is a huge hit. And nobody fucking likes Danny Rand or this actor or this show. <laughs> so, no, we don't want to do that with Luke Cage. Yeah. We want Luke Cage to be Luke Cage. And Marvel went, oh, yeah, fine. We're taking Luke Cage. We're leaving. And Netflix went, okay, we have 50 million other original shows. Bye. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's curious. Luke Cage seemed to be very popular. If they do do that, so. they can do so on their new Disney XD or Disney whatever app that's coming. Disney Play. Streaming app. And you could probably recast Iron Fist there. You know, you could start all Just over. Just a suggestion. Don't you dare recast Luke Cage. No, I, he's perfect. I will fight. He's perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird move. I don't know what, what the deal is. I, like, I'd be into a Heroes Fryer show. The episodes where Danny and Luke were together were pretty decent. They were all right. I just don't, I don't care for that actor. He is not Iron Fist. He's not good at the moves. He's not, he doesn't look cool. He's not a good superhero. Even his accent is weird. I don't like him. He was a miscast. Not even his fault. The guy's a good actor. He was really good in Game of Thrones. Great in it. Not made for stuff like this, you know? Yeah. Just not your wheelhouse, buddy. That is your nerd news for the week, but I guarantee we missed a ton of stuff. Actually, it was pretty it was pretty slow news week. Yeah. So hit us up on the THN Forum's big news section, or better yet, call us every Saturday from 1130 to 1230 Central Standard Time and talk to us live on THN Cover to Cover. It's your nerdy talk show, and there ain't no Saturday morning cartoons no more. Not so no more. what else are you doing with your day? Call us live at 402-819-4894 or leave a message. You can also send an MP3 to 2 nerd at gmail.com. Somebody, 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 somebody.
review time in the ziggurat. Joey, why don't you tell all these Harry Potter nerds listening about the comic book that J.K. Rowling ripped off? <laughs> uh, yes, my review is Books of Magic number one from Vertigo Comics, DC Vertigo, written by Cat Howard with art by Tom Fowler. It's 32 pages for $3.99, and here is your solicit. Timothy Hunter may be destined to become the most powerful magician in the universe, but he's still a London teenager, and having magical abilities complicates things more than it helps. It's not like he can use magic to pass his exams or stop being bullied or convince his cute friend to date him. And, well, he's not trying hard enough. No. And while Tim's trying to live his life, there are cultists who want to kill him. Believing his power will eventually corrupt him into becoming a merciless mage. Oh, and those are the good guys. Luckily, his new substitute teacher is more than she appears and may be able to help Tim discover the mystery behind the books of magic. The latest book in Vertigo's Big Sandman Universe relaunch is here, and for the first time, I felt like this was a proper first issue that was accessible to new readers. Definitely. Don't get me wrong, I was a fan of the original books. Of magic. Of magic. (laughs) (laughs) But I never read the later volumes with an older Tim Hunter. Writer Kat Howard is going for a kind of soft reset here. Tim is back to being a teenage student, and it seems like this story takes place not too long after the original Neil Gaiman miniseries. See, I felt like it takes place immediately after. Yeah, right. Yeah. Tim's introduction to the world of magic, courtesy of the Trenchcoat Brigade, that's John Constantine, the Phantom Stranger, Mr. E, and Dr. Occult. I love Dr. Occult. Is subtly retold in the style of like old tapestries or wall paintings, they look like, and it gives you just enough to be up to speed when the story snaps back to the present. This version of Tim is still destined to be the greatest sorcerer or monster that ever lived, but he doesn't have access to that power yet. But that doesn't mean that he's not a target for those that think the world would be better off without him. Tim's teacher, Dr. Rose, obviously knows more than she originally lets on, and fans of the old series or DC's Golden Age characters will probably recognize her. I did not. This is a spoiler, so cut it out. Yeah, okay. Uh, Dr. Occult has like a... Oh. And yeah, I mean, that's obviously... Oh, I did know that. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to leave that in and just bleep it out. Yeah, okay, great. <laughs> like, bleep, has a bleep. <laughs> bleep. <laughs> I really liked the way Cat Howard set up the story. Tim's dreams fill us in on what we need to know. His conflicts at school propel the story forward while still introducing the supporting cast and the revelations at home tell us what's happened in his personal life. There's also an appearance by Mad Hetty, who is one of my favorite Neil Gaiman supporting characters. She was also the bird lady in Home Alone 2. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> Yeah, now I know. Yep. I'm a huge fan of Tom Fowler's art. His characters have wonderfully exaggerated body language and his facial expressions are excellent. Fowler draws Tim kind of perpetually hunched over, so he always looks like the smallest person in every scene. Right. He's a nerd. Yeah. Fowler also changes his style kind of like a chameleon during the opening dream sequence in homage to the book's original creators. If you don't, uh, if you've never read it, yeah. the original Books of Magic miniseries was four issues and each one was painted by a different artist. And they were beautiful. Yeah. <clears throat> Books of Magic number one is both a great entry point for new readers and a great continuation of the story for old fans. It's my favorite title in the Sandman universe right now. It's a buy it. I'm giving it a buy it as well. Uh, Fowler did just a lovely job making this look part fairy tale part real world like you know private school kid 
And this one did feel like a first issue. It definitely did. It was like we reviewed Lucifer last week, and I still don't know what happened in that book. Yeah, no. I read it twice. I still can't tell you what happened in that fucking book, or if it's even remotely connected to the character that I used to love. This is obviously a reset of Tim Hunter. They're bringing him in for a new generation. A lot of fun. I'm giving it a buy. It. Speaking of books that I didn't understand what was happening. <laughs> You will. I know. Okay. I'll spell it out for I you. I think I figured it out after yeah. several hours thinking about it. <laughs> I read Lodger, number one, from IDW's Black Crown imprint, written by David and Maria Lapham, with art by David Lapham. Here's your solicit. I think you mean Latham. Yeah. A handsome drifter murders his way through the Midwest while hiding in plain sight as a travel blogger, leaving families in shreds and body bags in his wake. Ricky Toledo was 15 when she fell hard for <laughs> Dante. Yeah. Until he killed her mother and got her father sent to prison for it. It's three years later, and Ricky will stop at nothing to get revenge. Lodger is a dark, grimy, psychological thriller, a game of cat and mouse between a broken young woman and a serial killer, and, like all the best crime noir, a twisted love story. I have many questions about this solicit. If I had read it in advance, I would have had a better grasp on the story. However, several of the things mentioned in this solicit have no place in the story whatsoever. We don't know anything about the dad. We don't didn't know the guy was named Dante. We're getting there. We're she says she's been after him since she was 12, We're but she's there. got an ID that says she's 18. We're getting there. Okay. God. David Lappin's a name that goes way back to my early years of collecting and reading real crime comics. I fell in love with the Stray Bullet series and have followed this guy since the mid-90s. David and his wife worked together for years now with Maria acting as editor and co-writer here and there. But I think this is the first series that they are full-on co-writing together. That might be. With Lodger, the pair have come up with a catchy story that highlights the darker aspects of travel blogging, strangely enough. Something I can barely stand for its precious navel-gazing mixed with selfies and soulful recollection. The narrative reads like a travel blog mixed with a real-time story of a young woman tracking an ex-boyfriend. At first, I found myself a little confused as to how the narration was working, but it quickly becomes apparent we're reading the blog of the man our main character is chasing. Lapham's art is perfect for black and white real crime drama script, and once again, he's working in his wheelhouse of humanity meets blazing cruelty. The story unfolds very fast, leaving the reader to catch up as the main character makes some decisions that leads us to realize she is not who we think she is. The pacing slowly comes to a point where the main character's desperate story collides with the slow narration of the travel blogger written by the other character, who is a serial killer, the Lapham's work reminds me very much of storytellers like Terry Moore and Ed Brubaker, and their name belongs right up there with the best crime noir comic creators in the business. Lodger was fast-paced, a little difficult at first, riveting, and very creative. And when it pays off, it definitely pays off well. I am giving this a huge buy-in. Okay, when I first read it, I didn't care for it. I was like, well, I don't I, understand what's I happening. I admit, I couldn't follow it either. I was like, what are we doing here? I and don't see it. At first, I thought that Ricky was the blogger. Mm -hmm. And then you get to a point where she mentions uh, that she read about this place on the blog. And you're just right. like, okay, From so she's not the blogger. Um, and but, but even then, it's still a little hazy. There is a moment where it comes together. And you go, okay. Yeah. Uh, so let me ask you a question. That last very last scene mm -hmm. that's the past yeah that's a flashback it's, yes so I have a that's feeling, a flashback that is a flashback and i have a feeling next issue we're going to flash back to her origin yeah so 
I thought about it a lot after I read it first, and then I read it again, and things made a little bit more sense. I wish I had read the solicit in advance, <clears throat> but honestly, we read it like three times on this show. I think. <laughs> no, I don't think it was your pick last week. It wasn't, but we had picked it like in um, one of we our picked previews. it in drunk previous. Yeah, but, yeah, but I was drunk. We were wasted. <laughs> uh, anyway. It, it's the sort of book that stayed with me after I read it, and it caused me to read it again, which I never do. I hardly ever reread new comics after I've read them. And I couldn't stop thinking about it, and every time I thought about it, something else made more sense, and it just kind of stuck with me. And so I'm giving it a buy it, because even though even though at first it didn't click with me, it just it just latched on to me and it wouldn't let go. There is a payoff, definitely. Yeah. And and now I will say There's also a weird supernatural element that I didn't expect. Probably maybe. We don't know. Or science fiction or I don't we don't know what it is. Yeah, exactly. we don't know yet. We don't know yet. But yeah, it's just it's a lot of curveballs mm-hmm. and you just got to stick with a it. A really really fast narrative. Like it's a slow travel blog with yeah. this action 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 action. Right. And then you all of a sudden come together and go Oh, right. <laughs> I see what's going on here. Yeah, and yeah, and I definitely need to read the next one. Yeah. So it's a buy it. It's the it's the sort of comic where you immediately want to read the next one. Yeah. So that is a double buy it for both Books of Magic number one and Lodger number one. We'll post our written reviews over at twoheadednerd.com so they can live on as testimonials to why you shouldn't hire us. That's right. Yeah, our internet history is spotty. Mm-hmm. But we want to hear from you too. Call us, email us, tweet at us, Facebook us, or write your opinions on a CGC 10.0 copy of the 1990s Books of Magic number one to mail to us. Sure. Just a suggestion. Yeah. Whatever works for you, but we need to know what you thought of these comics. Do it in grease pencils. We can wipe it off. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Michael Myers is back in theaters, and to celebrate, Joe and I are getting Donald Pleasance drunk and hauling ass through Haddonfield, Illinois, in our 77 Velari station wagon, where we review eight more of Wednesday, October 24th's new comics during... I can do my Donald Pleasance. Ludicrous speed round! Ludicrous speed! <laughs> Go! Judge Dredd, toxic, number one from IDW. I didn't know big-time British writers got to leave the UK before writing Judge Dredd like some kind of 2000 AD conscription or something, but somehow Paul Jenkins escaped and is only now getting his first shot at everyone's favorite judge. Here, Dredd is investigating an alien invasion that might actually be beneficial to Mega City One, but xenophobic tensions are rising. While Jenkins' script wears its politics on its sleeve, there's even a Trump appearance. It is a heady story examining nationalism and bigotry. I didn't love the art, but the story was very solid. I'm giving it a buy-in. Mystery Science Theater 3000, number two from Dark Horse. Written by Joel Hodgson and an army of others, MST3K, the comic book takes the classic riffing of the show and injects it into classic comics. A fun idea, unfortunately executed with questionable results. The book is a complicated mess. There's this real-world quote-unquote scenes, well drawn by Todd Nock. Then there's the new art that Forrest Gumps the characters into the existing comics. And And that in this issue is done by Jack Pollock. Then there's the original work itself by whatever Golden Age creator did it back in the 40s. Plus, not only have the MST3K characters been inserted into the story, but everyone is riffing. All of the characters, including characters from the original comic. Yeah. 
There's a subtle indicator in the lettering to show the added jokes, but it's still kind of difficult to follow. And without the live action timing and voice work, most of the jokes fall completely flat. I love MST3K, I contributed to its revival, and I like the idea of a comic version in theory, but not like this. Leave it. Not, a, not everything translates well. You know, you shouldn't have done a comic. It's that simple. The Whispering Dark, number one from Dark Horse. This issue was billed as Lovecraft's At the Mountains of Madness meets Coppola's Apocalypse Now. But I may have missed the supernatural aspect of the story. Let me just look again real quick. Yeah, it's not here. I'm not even real sure what war is being fought here or when it's taking place. There's no setup. There's no explanation. No setting and no real reason to get invested. The story was fine and the art was very solid, but without any frame of reference, I find it hard to call this anything but a good generic war story. Giving it a skim it because it didn't completely fail. I, I'm just not sure where it's going. That war is the horror. That's true. Old Lady Harley, number one from DC, because we demanded it. Yeah, my favorite writer, Frank Thierry, takes on my favorite Back up. character, Back up. Harley Quinn. Everyone's favorite writer, Frank Thierry. And, Come on. He's and, Frank Thierry's for all of us, Joe. You don't get to hog him. <laughs> and throws her into a totally original concept that it's that character you love, but way old. Never seen that before. (laughs) While this issue had one or two gags that made me chuckle, for example, Kraken Barrel, (laughs) uh, it's otherwise completely stale. Inaki Miranda's art is decent, but the panels are so jumbled and cluttered, and Ava de la Cruz colors everything in the same shades of reddish brown, it's so hard to see what's happening a lot of the time. I'm sure Harley diehards will like this, but Old Lady Harley number one did nothing for me. Leave it. Mars Attacks, number one from Dynamite. Rick and Morty, Rock Candy Mountain, and Sex Castle writer Kyle Starks gets his shot at the iconic Martians that can't stop attacking Earth and turns it into a funny and at times touching story about family and aging. Of course, with Martian Armageddon in the background. I love the Tom Mandrake cover, but found the interior art to be a little too funny pages cartoony for me. Not bad at all, mind you. I just don't know if it works really well here. And honestly, I don't know if it's entirely possible to write a comedic Mars Attacks comic that I'm going to give a buy it. Unless maybe Ryan Brown gave the title the complete absurdist treatment in style of his God Hates Astronauts title. Starks does a perfectly good job writing this too, but just doesn't lean into the humor enough. Why not make it a cheesy action comic in the vein of Sex Castle where, you know, 80s guy in sunglasses fights the aliens or something. This was just cute at best. I'm giving it a skim it. Spider-Gwen, Ghost Spider, number one from Marvel. They finally gave her a cool name. Yeah. Though I eventually grew to enjoy the character, I never followed the previous Spider-Gwen books. This seemed like it would be a great place to jump in, but unfortunately, it's the opposite. Not only does the issue lean heavily on past events, but it's a Spider-Geddon tie-in. So if you haven't been following that book, you'll be totally lost. Writer Seanan McGuire has kind of a thankless task, picking up in the middle of two stories. But she does a pretty decent job. uh, Rosie Campy's art, or pardon me, maybe it's Compe. She's got an umlaut over the A. Uh, her art is decent, but un- inconsistent. Overall, Spider-Gwen, Ghost Spider number one is enjoyable, but it's a poor introduction for new readers, so it's a skim it. How many times are they going to do this? Didn't have they learn their lesson with this shit? This is the third volume. 
Spider-Gwen? No, I don't mean Spider-Gwen. I just mean dropping a character in the middle of like a crossover like this, where it's like, here's your first issue. Hope you're paying attention to everything in the Spider-Geddon universe. It's not fair. Yeah. Dead Kings, number one from Aftershock. According to the solicit for this new series, Dead Kings takes place in Russia 35 years after a techno-magic war that devastated the city, devastated a city, that is, called Thrice Nine. If you didn't read the solicit, like me, you might think you picked up issue 35 of the series and get totally lost in the long dialogue bubbles littered with Russian terms that might be made up. I don't know. I was lost here and by the end, a little bored. While it's not a bad story, I needed some more setup and I personally get really sick of jargon and future slang or maybe fake Russian words or real Russian words that mean nothing to me without any setup Don't be smashed racist. into my dialogue. This is the first Steve Orlando comic I have not enjoyed. I'm giving it a skim it. Sounds like a leave it to me. Why is it a skim it? I'm giving it a leave it. You're right. I'm giving it a leave it. It just didn't work. There was all this just bizarre dialogue and like words that I, I just had no clue what was going on. There were just so many words. Yeah, I'm more of a pitchers guy. Black Panther versus Deadpool, number one from Marvel because we demanded it. It was only a ma- we have made a lot of demands this week. We demand a lot of shit. Period. It was only a matter of time before Marvel tossed two of their most bankable film stars into a comic book cash grab, but this one was actually really enjoyable thanks to a great script from writer Daniel Kibblesmith. No fan- shit. Yeah, and fantastic art. Very kinetic, scratchy, fun, animated art by Ricardo Lopez Ortiz, which is a name I've never seen before. Deadpool needs a sliver of vibranium to save the life of Willie Lumpkin. Don't ask. No shit. And the, na- the Fantastic Four's mailman? Yes. Uh, <laughs> really? <laughs> and naturally, T'Challa doesn't trust that Wade is on the up and up. This was a ton of fun. Black Panther versus Deadpool number one gets a buy it. I knocked me over with a feather. Scrack! Sounds your ludicrous speed around it. It's the sound of Weapon H slashing free from Protector Hara of the Inaku. Yeah, I don't know. What does any of this mean? <laughs> I don't know. As seen in the pages of Weapon H number nine, I forgot that was still a thing. This onomatopoeia was submitted by James Madrano via the THN Facebook page. Well done, James. Yeah, thanks, James. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can slash it onto our bodies, or you can just send it to any one of our social media, or you know what? Shoot us an email, twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Listeners. Big news. We have a new sponsor. What? Some idiot has thrown us money? Yeah. Oh, my God. A lot. Ugh. A lot of money. Frankly, it could have gone towards his Patreon. But uh, it's somebody you might be familiar with. A little friend of mine named Carl D. Smith. Never heard of him. A.K.A. Camarillo Brillo. Oh, why didn't you just say that in the first place? That's right. He is the star of such illustrious podcasts as Make Eternia Great Again, which is all about He-Man, and Goad Kicker. And he has a new Patreon where he is putting up all sorts of fun stuff to do with his writing and gaming adventures. The URL is patreon.com slash Carl D. Smith. And this is what you're going to be able to find there. Patron only access to full stories, fun gaming events, breaking news, and even occasional swag. Patrons pay as low as a buck a month. It's charged month to month. There's no long-term commitment. As with all patrons, you can come and go as you please. But it's not just for people that want to pay. There's also free content for public users, including updates and samples of projects that are in the works. Carl has 
three levels, he calls them, of his work. Uh, one is his all ages level, where he's got projects like Draw Your Own Adventure and Bigfoot Jones. Uh, he's got uh, something that's appropriate for most ages horror books like <laughs> most ages most ages <laughs> uh his horror anthology the horror of loon lake and be careful what you wish for he also has play your own adventure which is a line of game books hex card based solo adventures and full tabletop rpgs then he's got his teen plus stuff only for grown-ups kids his horror books the darkness out of carthage which is like lovecraft meets the punic wars it's fun stuff historical fiction and he's got an upcoming fantasy series cardinal fates go to the patreon now they're currently in the middle of a live playthrough of his first play your own adventure game book it's like a choose your own adventure style branching path novella with rpg staples like character creation and dice rolling all the money you throw to carl goes exclusively towards leveling up his work being able to get his name out there, get uh, his promotion going. It includes uh, tabling at conventions, uh, being able to travel and set up at shows, and all the feedback and encouragement is appreciated, and it's going to fuel his productivity. Guys, Carl's a great writer. He's, he's a, a great guy. He's a creative juggernaut. He this, is seriously. a huge supporter of this show, and he has been since almost the beginning. He made just—he recently made a huge life choice to really chase this, too. And, like, honestly... I think it's absolutely worth throwing some money at this guy, not because he's a friend of ours, but because he's taking a chance. Okay, folks? Go throw some money at Carl Smith. He quit his job. His family is in a disarray. He quit his job. He ditched his family. If Bigfoot Jones <laughs> isn't a hit, it's your fault. That's right. When we find the body of Carl Smith, it's your fault. All right? <laughs> Patreon.com slash Carl D. Smith. We'll have that right in the notes for this show. Absolutely. Well. Thank you, Carl, for your sponsorship. You're too goddamn sweet to us. This week we find ourselves in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum wearing our Halloween 3 pumpkin masks and listening to the Silver Shamrock theme song on repeat, waiting for science and black magic to beam the secrets of next week's comics into our brains. Although it didn't do that in the movie, like turn the kids' heads into crickets. It was really weird. Mm, nice. <laughs> now, Matt, can you feel that tingling? Oh yeah, baby. That's telling me... And I'm excited to read Planet of the Apes, Time of Man from Boom, written by Dan Abnett with help from Philip Kennedy and David F. Walker, art by Carlos Magno, who I think we can just say at this point is the single greatest ape artist of our time. Whoa. 40 pages for $7.99. Here's your solicit. Celebrate over 50 years of one of cinema's most important franchises with this one-shot collection of stories highlighting the Planet of the Apes' most dangerous enemy, the Beast called man featuring stories from both the original films and new series canon including the early years of armando and caesar before conquest of the planet of the apes and for the first time ever a story set after the harrowing events of war for the planet of the apes following a few of the remaining human survivors i want to know what happened to mark Wahlberg's planet of the apes when he uh showed up on earth and abraham lincoln was a monkey i think we've disavowed that one altogether i think it's oh, gone yeah right. sorry marcus joe patrick what is your pick of the week? My pick of the week is Edgar Allan Poe's Snifter of Terror. That looks great. Number one from Ahoy Comics. It's written by Tom Payer and Mark Russell, with art by Fred Harper and Peter Snijbjerg. It's 32 pages for $3.99. It's actually, that's probably a typo, because all Ahoy Comics are very thick. Yeah, I think it's like thicker than that. Like 40 pages, I think it's thicker least. than that. Here's your solicit. 
Edgar Allan Poe mangles classic tales and brand new stories in this cross between drunk history and tales from the crypt. <laughs> First, meet Ahoy's own alcohol-damaged version of Poe in The Facts in the Case of M. Valdemar, adapted by Tom Pyre and drawn by Fred Harper. Then, sugary cereal meets vampirism in Dark Chocolate <laughs> by writer Mark Russell. That sounds and artist Peter Snaebjerg, uh, if you don't know that name, he drew the back half of Starman, and he is phenomenal. Snedgeberg. Snedgeberg. Although here it, it does say 32 pages. Yeah, I know, but I think that's I think that's incorrect. Okay. Extra comics by Hunt Emerson, unsettling verse by Sienna Madrid, illustrated by Carly Wright, and as always, a Too Much Coffee Man cartoon by Shannon Wheeler. All right. I love it. Yeah, that'll be fun. The THN trade of the week. Goes to FTL, y'all. <laughs> Tales from the Age of the $200 Warp Drive graphic novel from Iron Circus Comics. Written and illustrated by Various. We're big fans. It's 336 pages for 30 bucks. Dang, that's good. That is ridiculous. Here's your solicit. Iron Circus' latest sci-fi anthology project, stories about a world where warp drives cost 200 bucks and the cosmos is in, within reach of all humankind. Six months from now... Detailed schematics anonymously uploaded to the internet will describe in perfect detail how to build a faster-than-light engine for $200 in easily available parts. Space travel becomes instantly and chaotically democratized. The entire cosmos will be within reach of all of humankind. This comics anthology is about what happens next. It's such a great idea. Fucking it, fantastic. Like somebody on Reddit, it just like yeah. starts a thread. Yep. Like, FTL engine, 200 bucks. That's all it says. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Is this for real? I don't know. Made it to the... Did you download it? Made it like, to the front yeah. page of Reddit. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Uh, I just think that sounds like a really fun, goofy, off-the-wall sci-fi idea. Uh, and it'll it's full of talented creators yeah. with their takes on what would happen if this were a reality. We're going to talk about an Iron Circus book uh, real quick. Here. Yeah, we are. Those are our picks, but we want to know what you nerds are reading, too, so... You know, maybe we're missing something good. And as always, do the right thing and make sure to add these picks and yours to your profile. And if you hate them, call us next week and yell at us about it. Since Joe Patrick is terrified of drug use, I chose this month's Take a Look, it's in a book segment, to review and teach him about smoking weed with a little story called How Do You Smoke Weed? from Iron Circus Comics, written by Owlin, with assistance by Lauren Keller and Lynn Vessel and Joseph Bergen III. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the specific title is How Do You Smoke a Weed? <laughs> uh, which I think is very charming. Joe, it's only right that we get ripping high before yeah, we review I would, this one. I got, I'm so uh, baked. Is that a thing? Yeah, I'm, you are baked. Listen to you. Uh, <laughs> I've had so many um, spliffs. Okay. <laughs> I don't know anything about weed, How guys. Does smoke, first, can we talk about Owlin real quick? It's the collective pseudonym for the writing and art team of Lynn Vissel. Oh, it's all of them. And Joseph Bergen III. Okay, that's what Yeah, so it's like their group name. Assistance by. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. The three of them put together this delightful children's book. <laughs> it's sort of an adult children's book. Yeah, yeah, it's got some there, cursing. There is some cursing and stuff in it, but it is 
absolutely adorable in this very pogo, very blue yes, county it, it style. It absolutely reminded me of Walt Kelly. Without a uh, doubt. And also it invoked a lot of those old underground comics from the 60s. Definitely. Very much like the Fabulous mm-hmm. and Fairy Freak Brothers, weed comics like that. There's a lot of open love like open love letters to San Francisco Zap comics and stuff. Yeah, like yeah. That. There's definitely like some. There's some R. Crumb looking ladies in there. Definitely not uh, quite as perverted. Uh, perverted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's all very innocently portrayed. Yeah, yeah, it's all very cute. And basically, we're following the story of a young tree sprout. I can't remember what type of tree, but and he is excited because he wants to learn. Oh, she's a, it's a she. Her oh, name, she, her name is Sprout. Her name is Sprout, and she's excited because she wants to learn. How to smoke a weed. Yeah, yeah. And she goes on a little adventure where she talks to trees and she talks to a, a friendly bear and she meets this pig badger, like Hessian dude. <laughs> yeah. And then these two like granola girls. Yeah, one of garden. them's a witch. Yeah. And like everybody teaches them a little more about weed. Yeah. And <laughs> it's full of like science. Full on science. Yeah. Like, the, the first person, the first people that she meets go into the science of cannabis. What is it? Yeah, the chemicals How involved. How does it get you high? Yeah. What are those chemicals? How do, do they, they hybridize? Do? Right. What do the flavors come from? And it's this fully detailed like layout. Mm-hmm. Really, really well done that I even found very informative as a weed smoker in making some of my next buying choices. <laughs> Not that I'm buying weed in Nebraska, so that's illegal. But anyway. Yeah, no. I, no. From there, the character goes on to meet other characters that teach them how to smoke weed, different ways to do it. There's a full-on, like, how to roll a joint page in here that was very descriptive and perfect. There's a whole section about bong care and why it's important to keep it clean and little tricks you can do to your bong to make your smoke taste better or be cooler or get you even higher, you know, with certain snacks you can eat. This was adorable tips for preparing in advance because you'll be too high to do it afterwards. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but this was enjoyable and it really is educational. It is teaching you all about marijuana and the several different ways you can enjoy marijuana. And it yeah. lifts a lot of like the writers and the notes that we got beforehand because we have a we received a review copy from the publisher. In the review copy basically mm-hmm. said they wrote this to sort of lift the stigma off of marijuana smoking for those who don't know because a lot of people still think oh it's just a drug man it's a drug super dangerous it's a drug you know and is it a drug sure but it's a very innocent one and here is all the wonderful things you can do with it in this beautifully illustrated yeah like walt kelly-esque story i loved this like i don't (laughs) okay so i don't care about weed like i don't care if you smoke weed but i don't i'm not interested in it personally just because you don't know Okay, sure. You gotta try. I'm more of a hard liquor man. Uh, but this was very charming. Yeah. And for somebody like me that actually literally knows nothing about the culture or or where it comes from or how it's made or or how they uh, breed it and breed it. Yeah, I yeah. guess that's yes. sort of. Yeah. Breed plants. Uh, I thought it was really interesting. And like well-researched. And the art is beautiful. Yeah, and the art is great. Yeah. Like, they put work into this. Right, and it's it also it also goes out of its way uh, not to shame anybody for anything. Totally. Like, uh, oh, except for the one guy whose bong was really dirty. Yeah. Because like, <laughs> that's like, just gross. But he was like, hey, Hesh brother, this is a chance for you to learn how to yeah, take how to clean a bong. Uh, but like, because there's a character uh, where he, he's... Uh, Sprout gets a little too high, 
and he meets uh, the son. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and this and the son character uh, teaches him about um, what the the stuff that doesn't have THC in it that you smoke to kind of calm you down. Yeah. Uh, and then Sprout wants offers to smoke with the son, and the son's like, "No thanks, I don't smoke." Right. And it's like, oh, okay. He just says CBD oil. That's his thing, you know. So I thought it was, I thought it was charming. I thought it was gorgeous. It's ten bucks. It's yeah. a, it was a quick read. It's a lot of fun. I'm giving it a buy. It huge buy. It Even if me. you don't care, it's worth checking out. I can't believe how much I learned <laughs> while I read this. It's crazy, you know. But man, this is wonderful stuff. Yeah. Way to go, Owlin. Good job, guys. All right, that is a double buy it for. How Do You Smoke a Weed by Owlin <laughs> from Iron Circus Comics. Check it out at your local comic shop October 2nd. It's available now. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN 503. Before we get out of here, though, Joe Patrick, do me a favor. Yes? <laughs> You're the most important part about comedy, Joe Patrick. Timing! Timing! <laughs> Ask these nerds a new question of the week, please. All right. This week's question comes from THN's very own Wooly Toots. The recent romantic developments between Thor and Hulk, which I think is awesome, got me thinking, what is your favorite and least favorite comic character hookups? Least favorite? I would have to say Thor and Hulk. Okay. <laughs> I'll use my personal runners-up as examples. His favorite, Dazzler and Longshot. Oh, I love that relationship. Least favorite, Wonder Woman and Superman. Yeah, stupid. Dumb. I love this story, this question, though. And yeah. I already have both. Boom. Done. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Definitely. THN is a listener-supported podcast. We want to thank everyone that flushes their money down the toilet that is this show by donating on PayPal and Patreon. Without you, nerds... This is money you could definitely be sp uh, spending on weed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Without you, nerds, we can't afford date money for our superhero hookups. <laughs> yeah. Before we go... Our weekly shout-out goes to retired love slave, professional badass, and all-around good dude Tony Mathers and his family. This week, Tony finalized the adoption of his former stepdaughters, Madeline and Halen. Aww. Word to you, Mathers family. Congratulations on your newfound success, your new family. Did you know that that dude runs a jujitsu dojo? No. Yeah. Really? He'll kick your ass. He's, wow, the official THN jujitsuan. <laughs> Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just come to your house and put you in a rather uncomfortable jujitsu move. This is the two-headed nerd signing off. I don't know if it's still called a dojo with jujitsu. Is that they're just all, like a catch-all? They're all dojos, baby. Term? Yeah, that's where you yeah. go to like fucking hi, yeah, hi, yeah, hi, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're all dojos, baby. <laughs>